Many people are controlled by strongholds of fear, often the fear of not having enough. This message is the fourth in the series, Fear Less. The message is entitled, Less Fear of Lack, Part One. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets as we get ready to go into God's Word this morning. We're involved in this series of messages entitled, Fear Less. Two words, not one, fear less. And I want to talk to us this weekend and next weekend about less fear of lack in your life. This is a two-part message in the overall series of fear less. Fear, how do you deal with the fear of lack in your life? Several months back, as I mentioned to you, as I was thinking about the new year and what God would want to say to us as a congregation, I felt the Holy Spirit whisper into my heart two words, fear less. Not fearless, but fearless. That's a very important distinction because the word fearless uh, implies the fact that you don't have any fear at all, and that's unrealistic. In all of our lives, there will be times that we feel afraid, and it's okay to be afraid at times. Throughout the scripture, you see people that were afraid in moments of life. But what we must learn to do is learn how to separate out a certain amount of fear that comes with life, and some fear that's actually healthy for you, keeps you out of trouble, to the kind of fear that is detrimental to you, the kind of fear that's dysfunctional to your life, the kind of fear that God wants to remove from your life or lessen from your life. And so our prayer and our, our process of the study is to ask God to help us to continue to grow in Him so that we're, we're replacing the bad kind of fear with more faith in Him. And there are all kinds of things that we're afraid of when it comes to dysfunctional fear. And one of those things was the fear of, of loss in our life. We talked about last weekend and now the fear of lack. The fear of lack is really the fear of not having enough, that sometimes the supply is going to run out. Not having enough, we often think about the material realm of life, but it goes beyond that. Not having enough love, not having enough friends, not having enough resource, not having enough of fill in the blank, whatever it might be in your life. It's the fear of lack and for many people it controls them and dominates them and so uh, this weekend and next weekend I want to talk to you about how to deal with it how, how do you and I lessen that fear and to do so this weekend I'm going to share with you three Bible stories three amazing stories that really give us some principles for uh, addressing this issue two of these stories are in the Old Testament one will be in the New Testament let me draw your attention to first Kings chapter 17 as we look at our first Bible story today it's a story of a prophet by the name of Elijah. So who is the story about? Elijah, exactly. Now, to give you a little bit of a background to this story, it's very important to understand the setting when it was happening. Elijah was a prophet in Israel. And as a prophet in Israel, he lived during a time where a king reigned by the name of Ahab. And Ahab had a wife by the name of Jezebel. So it's a very evil time in Israel's history. And because of the idolatry, the wickedness of uh, Ahab and Jezebel, God was bringing judgment upon his people. And one of those judgments had to do with famine in the land, that God was withholding rain. There would be a drought, and of course, with the drought would come famine. But God said, Elijah, I'm going to take care of you. And so he directed Elijah to a particular brook or spring of water or brook of water that was flowing. And he said, Elijah, you stay right here. And I'm going to feed you here. I'll take care of you. And he brought birds every day, the ravens, to bring him his food. Perhaps that's the first uh, food delivery service that we've ever had. Of course, the children of Israel had that every day in the wilderness as they're receiving manna. But God said, I'm going to take care of you every day. Wouldn't that be wonderful? You wake up in the morning, there's breakfast. Lunch, there's your lunch, dinner, there it is. And so God brought ravens, used ra ravens to bring food to Elijah, and he stayed there for some period of time. 
until the brook dried up. The brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. And so at some point in time, it is now dry. There's no water there. And so Elijah has to go somewhere else to be sustained. Now, that's where we pick up the story in 1 Kings 17, beginning in verse number 8. Then the Lord, that is after the brook dried up, then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. That's the first strange thing about this story. Why would you think that a widow, someone who is normally thought of as being poor in poverty, would be able to sustain someone who has need? But again, it's an unusual situation. Notice what happens. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, Would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, bring me a bite of bread too. So again, this story is extremely unusual because God works in unusual ways, doesn't he? So here he shows up in the city and there doesn't seem to be any formal introduction of himself. It seems the first thing he says was, hey, could you bring me some water? And by the way, as you're going, bring me some bread too. Who is this guy? Okay. First thing in town, he's asking for stuff. Water, bread. And he's asking, no less, someone that we would normally have considered the least likely to be able to provide this. This is a widow in the land. She, she likely doesn't have much for herself. And as the story unfolds, that becomes very true as we see her circumstances. Verse number 12. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. And I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug, notice this, I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. Now, you get the picture here? Elijah has asked her for water and for bread. She says, a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil. This is our last piece of bread, and we're, I'm going to cook this, and we are starving. In fact, this will be our last meal. There is nothing after this. Both myself and my son, it is over with. Poverty has come to that in our lives, starvation. Verse 13, but Elijah said to her, read the next three words with me, don't be afraid. Here is a lady in lack, and Elijah representing God, what does he say to her? What are the first words? Say them again with me. Don't be afraid. So if you're lacking in your life this morning, what would God's words be to you today? Don't be afraid. So whatever you're lacking in your life, I'm going to talk more about what that means to you and me in a moment. But the first thing I want you to hear today is that if you're lacking something in your life, finances or friends or whatever it might be, you fill in the blank. God comes to you today. His first word to you this Sunday morning is don't be afraid. And notice the instructions, instructions that are given. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. You've got to be kidding. Now it's getting worse, isn't it? Okay. She's already told him, this is my last meal. I'm going to eat it. I'm going to die. And Elijah says, well, before you do that, feed me. Now, the only way that this story makes sense, the only way that this story has application to us in a meaningful way is to realize that Elijah was not representing Elijah. Elijah was representing God. And God was stepping into this lady's world, and she didn't fully realize it at the time, but God is about to invade her poverty. God is about to invade her circumstance, and she's got to respond the right way to what's about to transpire, but it's coming in the form of a person. You know that many times the way God steps into your world is by a person. 
that God uses a person to step into your world and that person begins to challenge you, change you, encourage you, whatever it might be that will lead you to your next step. And Elijah is a person of God. He is a man of God. He is setting in motion God's intervention. So it really wasn't about Elijah. It was about God. And then notice the promise. He's asked her. He says, then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So there's the promise of God. If you do this, if you will bring me a piece of bread first, it's going to set in motion supernatural provision for your life. This is good, folks, okay? God says, if you'll, if you'll think of me first... If you'll put me first, and you'll demonstrate that you put me first by some practical action, I promise you, you will never go without. You will have everything that you need. Verse 15 is beautiful, and the first six words there, she did, so she did as Elijah said. She obeyed. She responded. And as she and Elijah and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days, there was always, what's the next word? There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Don't you love that story? It's an amazing story of a lady who had lack, but God stepped into her world through the prophet Elijah and turned everything around so she had plenty of provision. She ended up always having enough. Now let's go to our second Bible story today. Our second Bible story is in 2 Kings, and it's the story of a prophet now by the name of Elisha. So the first story is about Elijah. The second story is about Elisha. Now, always remember that Elijah was the mentor of Elisha, who was the protege, the learning prophet. So now Elijah has passed from the scene, and Elisha is the minister, the prophet in Israel at this time. So let's look at this story, something that happened through his ministry. One day the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord, but now a creditor has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. So here's the picture. Elisha shows up at this lady's house one day, probably visiting her because her husband had died to check on her situation, see how she was doing. And, uh, and the lady says, you've you got to understand what's happening here. My husband's died. He left me in major debt. I don't have anything to pay the debt off. The creditors have come asking for their money, don't have anything to give them. So now what they're going to do is take my sons and put them into slavery so that they will be working off the debt. That's a bad circumstance, isn't it? She is facing lack. She doesn't have enough to pay her bills. I bet you've never been there before, have you? Okay. She has a lot of bills and not enough money to pay them. And the creditors are pressing down. Her house, if you will, is about to be foreclosed on. Circumstances are looking bad. Bankruptcy is going to be in the situation. She's going to lose part of her family for a period of time. This is bad. Now, Elisha asked her, what can I do to help you? Tell me what do you have? What do you have? Say it with me. What do you have in the house? Not what don't you have, but what do you have? There's a very big difference in looking around and seeing what you don't have and seeing what you do have. And so God turns your attention away from what you don't have to what do you have in your house. And her first word was nothing. I don't have anything. But then she kind of gets 
her wits about her for a moment and said, nothing at all except, oh yeah, there is one thing, a flask of olive oil, she replied. I remember I do have one little flask of olive oil left. That's all I have. And Elisha said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors, then go into your house and put your, with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask, your flask, the one that you have, into the jars, setting each one aside when it's filled. So she did as she was told. She obeyed. She responded. Her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she filled one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, Now sell the olive oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on what is left. What another beautiful story, okay? These are true stories, by the way. These are not made-up stories. This is not fiction. This is not fable. These are true stories of things that happen to real people. So here's the circumstance. Lady in debt, can't pay them, doesn't have anything to live off of, going to lose her sons. God shows up and in her lack makes provision and she's fully taken care of, not only in paying her debts, but giving her a hope and a future and able to live out for the rest of her days. Let's go to the New Testament now, John chapter 6. This is a story that everybody here is somewhat familiar with, the story of Jesus feeding a whole bunch of people. Listen to it as I read it. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias, a huge crowd. So how big was the crowd? It was huge, okay? A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd. How big was the crowd? It was huge. A huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Then turning to Philip, he asked, Where can we buy bread to feed all of these people? Now, that question only has meaning when you realize how big the crowd was. So how big was the crowd? It was huge. How huge was it? Well, we don't know for sure. All we know is we'll see in a moment there were 5,000 men there. Now, if there are 5,000 men there, there were some ladies there. It's likely that there could have been as many ladies or perhaps even more ladies than men. We don't know for sure. But let's just be conservative here and say there were also 5,000 women because back in those days they only counted the men in circumstances like this. And so there could have been as, as many as 5,000 or perhaps even more women that were there. In addition, there's some kids running around because we know a little boy brings his lunch to Jesus. So we know there's some kids in the crowd, right? So we can add up, just do some, if you will, imagination imaginative sort of addition here and this crowd now is maybe 15 20,000 people many theologians believe it could have been very easily that large of a crowd now think about this you now have a crowd of 20,000 people and someone says to you feed them I mean I have a problem with 20 people feeding them right okay but let's say 20,000 let's say 15,000 this is a big deal and notice verse 6 he was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. I love it that Jesus always has a plan. Isn't that great to know? If you don't have a plan in your life, you're probably not following Jesus, because when you follow Jesus, he helps you have a plan, okay? He always has a plan, okay? Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. We wouldn't have enough, right? 
you recognize that word again? Wouldn't have enough to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves. Now, please understand something. When it says he took the loaves, he didn't just reach from the boy and grab them and take them away. He didn't steal his lunch, okay? It was an offering that the boy made. The little boy presented them to Jesus. So Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God. I love that part because these five loaves and two fish, this little bit that, that Jesus now had in his hands with this big crowd, what did he do? What was the first thing he did when he had the little bit in his hands? He gave thanks. I promise you, dear ones, that one of the greatest things you can do in your life is to learn to give thanks when you have little. Because if you can't give thanks when you have little, you'll never give thanks when you have a lot, okay? So gratitude doesn't start when you have a lot. Gratitude starts even when you have little. You say today, Pastor, I don't have very much. That's okay. Neither did Jesus right here. Neither did these two widows that we talked about. But whatever you have today, start giving thanks for what you have. And that's a, that's a free sermon. That's actually not a part of my message today, okay? So he took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, Now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. Great story. All three of these stories have things in common. You see the commonality of these three stories? Okay, They're very similar stories. Principles are the same. That's one of the things about God is principles are always the same. You can find them in any different story and the principles will emerge. And so they're principles that represent how God helps you and I to deal with lack in our life. So how do we have less fear of lack? I want to pull out of these stories four principles today that will work in your life. And this is, again, the first part of a two-part message. Don't miss next weekend because this is going to add to what I'm sharing with you today. But the first thing that's necessary to have less fear of lack in your life is you have to honestly acknowledge your need. The first two widows, what did they do when the prophet asked them what they had? They acknowledged their need. They acknowledged their insufficiency. They acknowledged that they had a need. They acknowledged that their need was greater than what they had. The same was true in the story with Philip and the feeding of the 5,000. We don't have enough, okay? Now, that's not a bad thing to do. Actually, that's a good thing to do because you'll never tap into God's supply until you acknowledge the inadequacy of your own supply. There are far too many people in our world, and especially in Western culture, that live with a mindset of self-sufficiency. I will have enough. I will make enough for myself. I will take care of me. I am all about me. If I don't have it, I'll get it. And what I want you to know, while there's some L -L positive elements to that, I want you to know there's some negative elements to that as well because you nor I can ever supply everything that we will need in life. I don't want to be self-sufficient. I want to be God-sufficient. Okay? 
Because I promise you that God can supply for you far more than you will ever be able to supply for yourself. And so as we're growing in God, we need to be less dependent upon self and more dependent upon God. I am not sufficient in me because God has things He wants to do in me and through me that are bigger than me. And so if I'm, not, if I'm only leaning into me, there will be a limited supply. And so I acknowledge, God, I need you. I'm not self-sufficient, I am God-sufficient. And the recognition of need is the first step in a miracle. You will never have a miracle without having a need. A lot of people want miracles in their life, but they don't want to acknowledge the need that will lead to the miracle. So I would ask you today, in your life right now, what do you need? Be honest about your needs. What is the impossibility that you're facing right now? What, What is the limitation in your life right now? It might be a financial limitation. It might be a limitation of of an assignment you have at work that you don't feel like you're capable of handling. It might be a restriction that's on your life in some way. It might be a lack in a relationship. It could be all kinds of things because lack is not just about money in your pocket. Lack comes in all kinds of forms, but you will never get from God until you acknowledge, I lack what I need right now. It's not in me. Because when you acknowledge it's not in you, that's when you begin to turn to say, God, I want to find it and get it from you, not from me. And God always supplies in a bigger and better way than we can supply for ourselves. So begin the process by acknowledging your need. What do you need? What are you lacking in your life right now? God cares about your lack. Isn't that good to know? God cares about your lack. Number two. So the first thing you do is acknowledge your need. Number two, see your seed. See your seed. All these stories is a seed. Now, let's talk about seed for a moment. Seed is amazing. It's always been intriguing to me to look at seed. Over the years, uh, we've had gardens from time to time. Not very successful, but we've had them, okay? And I'm always amazed when I look, when I get, when I go to the store and buy the seed. I open the old packet of seed and I look at that. Can anything good come from this, okay? Because seed is always significantly smaller than what it produces, right? I mean, you take a kernel of corn, and you think, can anything come from that? And then out of a kernel of corn comes this massive, you know, five, six-foot stalk of corn with all these ears on it. It's, see, the seed is always smaller than, it's, than, than what it produces, okay, right? But there's potency, there's power in it. And oftentimes, seed does not look anything like what it produces, at all. You got a seed, but it doesn't look like what it's going to produce. One year we grew, ca- we, we, we grew carrots. We tried to grow carrots, let me be honest, okay? And I got the little carrot seeds out and opened the packet. Anybody ever seen a carrot seed before? It's tiny. I mean, it's like little bitty, tiny little seeds, okay? And I looked at that, that carrot and I said, that looks nothing like a carrot at all. It's not even the right color. The seed wasn't orange. I mean, you thought, wouldn't you agree? If you're going to have a carrot seed, it should be orange. Amen? Okay? I'm like looking for food color just to put, put some orange on it, just, just to give me a sense it is what it is. Okay? But it wasn't even the same color. It didn't look anything like what it was. And we planted that carrot seed. And, yeah, we had maybe three or four carrots that came up because I didn't know how to process it. didn't handle it well. My problem, not the carrot seed problem. But the point being is it doesn't look like, oftentimes in life, the seed that you're going to utilize, that God will utilize in your life, doesn't look like what you think it needs to look like. And it has to be planted if it's going to produce anything. You can't carry seed around in your pocket or in your hand and expect it to produce anything. And it always, I love this thing about seed, it always produces way more 
than you could have imagined it would produce. Remember a moment ago I talked about that kernel of corn you planted in the ground? And this five, six-foot stalk of corn comes up, and it's got all these ears of corn on it. You break open the ears of corn. You pull back all the husk there, and inside is a corn cob circle with hundreds of kernels of corn, and it all came from one seed. Isn't that amazing? That's the miraculous work of God. But in all these stories, when God is about to do a miracle in your life, he always starts with a seed. Okay? Do you, did you notice in this story that when Elijah went to the widow, he asked her to acknowledge her seed, the acknowledgement of her seed. What was the seed of the first widow? She had a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil, right? And did God use the little bit of flour and the little bit of oil? Yes, God used the little bit of flour and the little bit of oil. How about the second lady? What did she have? What was the seed for her miracle? She had a flask of oil, right? Did God use the flask of oil as a process, as a part of the miracle? Absolutely. How about the third story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 plus? Was there a seed in that story? Yes, there was a seed in that story. Five loaves and two fish. Here's the good news for you. If you have a lack in your life right now, start looking around because there's a seed somewhere in your life that will meet your need, okay? There's a seed that God will use to meet that need in your life. And that seed can come in many different forms. It might be a resource that you have that you haven't even acknowledged. It's right there with you. It might be, in fact, for some of you, it might be a relationship that you have with someone that will be that seed that will unlock for you the understanding that you need or a resource, that, a point of lack that can be fulfilled. It might be an idea that God will give you, an opportunity that God will bring your way in your circumstance. Well, it can be a variety of different things, but I want to tell you that you've got to see your seed. There is a seed in your life right now for whatever need you have in your life right now. God never leaves you without a seed. Never leaves you without a seed. There's one for you right now. And that leads to the third point that I want to share with you today. You have to obey God's command with faith. You've got to do something with your seed. A seed is of no value unless you plant it. If you hold on to it, nothing happens. A harvest will never happen with your seed if you don't do your part. In all three of these stories, did these folks have to do something with their seed? You with me today? Come on, church, help me out, okay? They had to do something with their seed, right? The first widow... She had to go and make that first piece of cake, that first piece of bread, right? If she didn't do that, there would not be a miracle story here, right? If she said, sorry, Elijah, we're going to eat it ourselves, that story would not be in the Bible. Second story, widow with the flask of oil, did she have a seed? Yes, but she had to do something with it. She had to obey God's instruction. Had she said, I don't want to borrow vessels from other people. I don't want to do it that way, God. Would the story be in the Bible? No, she would have missed her miracle. What if the little boy had said, Jesus, sorry, get your own lunch? Okay. 
There would not be a miracle of the feeding of 5,000. None of these stories would have happened had the individuals not done their part. And what I want you to see today is that you have a part to play in your miracle. Okay? Every miracle that happens in your life involves something that you will do called obeying God with faith. If you don't obey God with faith, there will not be a miracle. Let me use a silly illustration here today, but I think you'll get the picture of what I'm talking about. Let's take two farmers, okay? Let's, let's just pretend for a moment they've been given the same kind of land, equal fertility of soil. They've been given all the same kind of resources. They have the same kind of weather, same amount of rain, same amount of sunshine. And one farmer says, well, I'm going to plant my seed and I'm going to pray, okay? And the other person says, I'm going to plant my seed and I'm going to pray and work. Which one will have the better farm, okay? Are you with me here? I mean, this is not rocket science, okay? God says, I, I want to work with you, but you've got to take your seed and you've got to do something with it. You can't just take your seed and expect me to do all the work. There's something I'm going to require of you. And the stories that we've just seen all required someone to say, okay, Mr. Prophet, okay, Jesus, I believe that you know better than I do, so I'm going to take your instructions. They may not make any sense to me. I promise you, when that little widow was making that first piece of bread to give to Elijah, that that made no sense to them, to her at all. She felt like that was her last meal, but she's giving it anyway. She's doing it anyway. It was that that released the blessing for her life. And the same is true in all of those stories. So what you do with your seed matters. And God says, I'm not just going to do it for you. I want you to be a partner with me in this miracle. There's a miracle that can happen. And next weekend, I'm going to talk most, more specifically about the part that you play. How do you plant your seed? What do you, what do, you do when you've identified your seed? How do you put it into proper use in your life? And that, let me take you now to my fourth and final point today. The fourth thing is that you need to trust God's promises. In all these stories, it was promise. It was promise in the story. And the way obedience works and the only way obedience will work consistently in your life is if you trust. Did you hear that? You with me? Okay. You will never, a child will never learn the meaning, real meaning of obedience in their life unless they learn to trust their parents, okay? The real issue behind obedience is trust. I will never be as fully obedient to God as I need to be unless I learn to trust God. See, when I trust Him, that I'm willing to obey Him. Why? Because I know He knows what He's doing, right? Okay? I know that He understands what I ought to be doing in my life. And so my obedience, the best obedience in life, doesn't just, okay, I'll just do it. No, the best obedience comes when you have a trust in the one that's giving you the instructions. When you trust that the one is giving the in the one who's giving you instructions, because you know that they have promised for you that it's going to lead you somewhere good, then obedience becomes fairly simple, right? I'll do it. Why? Because I know this is going to end up in the best for me. Okay. And so when you if you're learning to to to, to address the fear of lack in your life, you acknowledge I've got need, there are things I lack. I've got to start looking for my seed, okay? It'll help meet that need. Where's my seed at? Because I promise you, there's seed in your house right now. There's seed in your life. God promises to give you seed. So you've got to find, where's my seed? Okay, now that I've found my seed, what's God want me to do? What's my, what are my instructions, okay? And then I'm going to obey the instructions because I trust God, amen? 
I trust that God knows that if I will do what he tells me to do, the best will happen in my life. Let me take you to some scriptures that really underscore this so powerfully. God has a track record. Read the Bible, you'll see that he, 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 he fulfills everything he promises. Psalm 37, verse 25. David, the, the psalmist, the king of Israel, said, I was young and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. Anybody want to say hallelujah right there, okay? Now, don't, don't run past that one. Stay with me on that one for a moment because I want you to notice something. I want you to circle two words on your notes there. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. The righteous. Okay? If you live an unrighteous life, can you expect everything beautiful to flow your way? No. The Bible says I've never seen the righteous. People who make a choice to live a righteous life. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord. This is what you and I are supposed to do. Okay? We're going to honor the Lord. We've got a seed. Our seed is our wealth, our resources, whatever we have. Honor the Lord. That is, take your seed and do the right thing with it. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Time out. God's saying, make sure that in the financial realm of your life that you are honoring me and make sure that I get your first fruits. Why? Because that's your seed. It's exactly what happened with this widow with Elijah. She gave her first, first make a cake for me. Not because Elijah was trying to steal her food, but Elijah was putting her in a position of trusting God for provision in her life. And the same is real and true for you and me. Honor the Lord as make a decision as to what you're going to do with the seed of your finances. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then, as if you do that, your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. God says, I promise you, you make me the cake first, you'll always have food to eat. Honor the Lord. Luke 6, 38. Jesus' words give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured in your lap. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Notice, give, and it will be given to you. Would the first widow, would she have had supply had she not given? That's a question, Bob. Would she? No, okay. Would the second widow have had a supply to pay her bills and for her future had she not given? No, okay. Would the little boy have had a better lunch? I mean, he ended up not with five loaves and two fish. He ended up with a fish and loaf buffet, okay? You want five loaves or two fish or you want a buffet? Would he have experienced the buffet had he not given his little gift to Jesus? No. So give, and it will be given to you. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart. That is, use your seed the right way. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Philippians 4, 6 and 7, don't worry about anything. Now, anything includes lack. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs. Don't forget to thank Him for His answers. If you do this, if you handle this the right way, if you do your part, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will keep 
your thoughts, your hearts quiet and at rest as you trust in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Paul said, I have learned this thing called contentment. I'm going to praise God if I have a little bit. I'm going to praise God if I have a lot. My praise is not determined upon how much I have. I'm going to be a praiser at all times. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. In Philippians 4.19, read it with me. My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. So as we talk about getting rid of or having less fear of lack in our life, how, how do we do it? We start by acknowledging our need. God, I need you to supply what I can't supply for me. I'm going to be God-sufficient, not self-sufficient. And then I need to look for my seed, right? What are the, what's the seed in my life? What's the seed in your life right now? Identify your seed and then say, God, whatever you tell me to do with this seed, I'm going to do it. I'm going to obey you. Because fourthly, and the important thing we just talked about, I trust you. I know that if I do it your way, even when it doesn't make sense to me, it always leads to the best result. Amen. Now, don't miss next weekend. As I've told you before, when you miss a second part of a two-part message, it's like having an airplane with only one wing, okay? You can't fly very well. So make sure you're back next weekend as we kind of wrap up. Here's a big comma right there, and it's the to be continued. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you today. Thank you for your word. We're so grateful for your love for us, for the instructions you give us that we're not left to ourselves, but you've given us your word to guide us. I pray you'll take this message and let it be, Lord, a part of transforming us, a part of liberating us from the fear of lack in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's word that'll make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. 
And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with the pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash new beginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.